1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Folks, it's time once again for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour We're so glad you're with us here on AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Pete Paquette, you know him, engineers, gets us on the air. Andrew Hurtlisk, produces the show. And Karen Whiting is our first guest. And on the space coast of Florida, her book, Growing a Joyful Heart. Karen, welcome to your neighbor up here in Orlando. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing great, Pat. So happy to be on.
2: I want you to explain uh, how do we go about growing a joyful heart, and why is that important?
3: Growing a joyful heart starts with prayer, because it is a gift from God. It's a fruit of the Spirit, and that's really one of the ways to get joy. Another way is gratitude. When we start to count our blessings and think of every day, take some time to think about what God has given us and his promises, that changes our heart to be more positive and look towards him. And the other is to choose joy, uh, to have that type of perspective that we don't understand our struggles all the time, but God does. And if we just trust him and choose to have a joy perspective on it, it will change us, and we will start seeing those positive outcomes. And why do we want joy? Because there are so many benefits of joy. It lowers our stress. It gives us better sleep. It boosts our immunity. It lengthens our life, actually, and adds resilience. And part of that adding resilience is because we choose. We, we realize we have choices, and we make good ones. And it uh, quickens our recovery times, among other things. It's just And the list
2: goes on. My guest is Karen Whiting, Growing a Joyful Heart, the name of the book. It's Devotions of Accepting God's Gifts for Abundant Living. Karen, your book breaks out into uh, uh, four sections that I want you to get into for us. Number one is called Inner Joy. And you write about topics, joyology and Easter joy and joy (laughs) of creation and Christmas joy I want to hear about inner joy. What is that?
3: Inner joy is within us, okay? In our heart and in our minds and spirit. You know, and, and that's where... I wake up every day and I I say Psalm 5210, create in me a new heart, renew in me a steadfast spirit. And that right away starts giving me joy because that inner joy comes from focusing on God and not our circumstances. And that's where we have to start. That's why that includes counting your blessings. It includes looking at Easter and the gift we have from God at Easter of eternal life. It includes Christmas and the joy, all those joyful hymns that we have and carols at Christmas time that remind us that it's looking at God's gift of Jesus to the world that changes us from the inside out.
2: We want to go to the second part joy in relationships. And this is the joy of sons, the joy of daughters, joy in marriage. Uh, I want to hear all about section two.
3: Yes, and that's uh, the joy in relationship. You know, God gives doesn't make us alone right away he knew with adam that we needed other people in our lives and that includes our spouse and although my spouse went to heaven quite a while ago you know every day i can look at his picture and smile because he blessed me so much and it's again looking at that positive side that if we encourage our children and we love on them and accept them then That relationship is going to build and build for a lifetime. I found that one of the things that really gave us joy and continues to where I didn't have a lot of sibling rivalry with my five children was we had them praying for one another. We'd sit around the table and one person would pray and the next person would pray. Well, one person would actually say, what's my biggest problem and what's my biggest thanks this week. And the person next to them would pray for them. And when they started praying for their sibling, they started caring more about what was happening for them and wanting to know, did my prayer get answered for you? I'm want to. i still so happy for what happened. And it changed their focus. And that's what we want to do in relationships get joy. We want to focus on that person and not what they're doing for us, but what we can do for them. And in relationships, when we start doing that in our marriage, with our friends, with everyone, we will overflow with joy and find our relationships just keep growing.
2: Karen Whiting is with us down on the Space Coast. The book, Growing a Joyful Heart, Uh, In Section 3, simply called Choosing Joy, Uh, the topic's, Karen, Cultivating Joy and Choose Joy and Joy and Change and Joy as We Age Uh, (laughs) and and Multiple Streams of Joy. What are you writing in Section 3, and why is that important?
3: It is so important because that has to do with our attitude and whether we really trust God or not. When we have struggles— we return to him and trust him that he knows what's best. That I mentioned I'm a widow. Well, my grief time with Jim, a lot of it was ahead of time because he had terminal breast cancer, and we knew about it, but God gave us two extra years. He was told he had three months to live, and he lived two years and three months, so that was such a blessing, and it, choosing to say, all right, what can happen, and can I accept any of those things from God, that he could die, that he could live, that maybe be in a vegetative state, that he could be healed. And if I could choose joy no matter what happened, then I could move forward with that. And that's how Jim and I both felt, and it was so good to do that. Even as I wrote this book with my co-author, Pam Farrell, and Pam is, is wonderful, uh, she ended up in a coma just as we were starting to write the book uh, in the hospital. And, it, you know, she came out, but we knew it was going to be a slower recovery and God knew because he'd already given us an extra month on the deadline. We chose this deadline for the contract and when the contract came, it was actually a month extended, which we really needed during that time. So we were able to just say, you know, Lord, she is always so thankful for this. It. it may be a slower go, but we also invite other people to give us their stories and that helped her with uh, doing her parts of the book too. But You know, it's choosing that and knowing that whatever happens, God is in charge, and we can look at the good side of things. And that's what we have to do in choosing joy no matter what.
2: I want you to expand on uh, joy as we age, because many (laughs) of our listeners are aging, including your friendly broadcaster. Uh, Yes. Karen, joy as we age, what does that mean?
3: Well, that means again to look at the positive side of things and to make the best daily choices. Are we eating right? Can we laugh every day in spite of all those problems? I'm in physical therapy right now because of something with my leg, which has to do with aging. Uh, you know, we all have these things. We can look and there's a lot of things out there from grumpy old people and grumpy old movies, and we don't have to choose that. We can look at Anna in the Bible, who Chose joy and was joyful she'd been in that temple as a widow for decades when jesus was born and she had looked forward to that promise of god instead of looking at her circumstances you know we can look at these things and say that's what we want to choose we can look at what um You know, Naomi did when she was widowed where she said, oh, just call me bitter because that's who I am. Well, God took her through a journey to make her realize she didn't have to be bitter. She could be back to being blessed and looking at that. And that's what we have to go. And it doesn't mean we're not going to have grief because the more we age, the more we have friends and loved ones who pass. And the more we do go through grief each time, but we can go through it knowing God is with us and knowing that God has taken that loved one to a better place that we will come to. So I think that, you know, again, what we want to do is not look at the negatives and not dwell on our limitations, but dwell on all the positives that we've had so many years and so many blessings through all those years to rejoice in that we can be. Uh, model for the younger ones in our lives to look up to.
2: My guest, uh, Karen Whiting. we're talking about her book, Growing a Joyful Heart. And, uh, Karen, when did this really uh, occur to you, th- this importance of joy? At what point in your life triggered all this?
3: I think a lot of different disasters in my life helped, but particularly... Hurricane Andrew, which I know was a long time ago, my husband was alive, and he was off on military orders in the Coast Guard, and I had five children at home, and we were told we could not leave. At that time, in certain zip codes, they had to keep too many roads when they thought they had to evacuate all of the keys and everything. From uh, being clogged up, so we had to stay home. And that night, when I saw the gumbo limbo trees, also called the tourist trees, bending in half, they're as big around as an oak tree. I said, "We are getting hit. This storm has changed direction." I grabbed the kids, had them all come into my closet, which was an anomaly in the architecture. That we ended up with a 10 by 12 foot closet. I always said, "Why should you? Be? We could have had another bedroom, <laughs> but God knew we needed it that night for that safety." And at that time, I just kept, every time somebody woke up, we would pray and read the Bible and go back to sleep. And when uh, the wee hours of the morning, I read Jesus calming the storm, prayed, and prayed for God to just calm the storm, and everything stopped. After two minutes, Michael piped up in the back and said, Mom, you should have read that one first. <laughs> I just laughed and said, You are so right. And I thought, this is just the eye. It's going to come back. It never did. That was the end of the storm when I prayed. And I've always remembered, but at that point and from other things that happened, God sent angels, all sorts of things happened as we were recovering. I, you know, with the children said, we're going to have to choose joy here. And that's what we did. And we studied Nehemiah during our whole recovery time and got to Nehemiah 8, 10, where, of course, Nehemiah said to the people, don't weep, don't be in despair. This is a time to rejoice because the joy of the Lord is my strength. And from then on, I have always chosen joy in any circumstance.
2: Well, I'm so glad you have, and I'm so glad you've written about it. Karen Whiting is our guest. We have another segment with Karen. And when we come back, uh, she's going to talk to us about Section 4 uh, of her book. It's called Sprinkles of Joy. That sounds delightful. And uh, in the meantime, this is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Right here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando, we will return.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: Karen Whiting is our guest. She's uh, on the space coast of Florida, talking about her book, Growing a Joyful Heart. And, Karen, I mentioned uh, section four, Sprinkles of Joy. Uh, Interesting topics joy givers, jumping for joy, encouraging words. I want to hear about that. Joy makers, God restores joy. A lot to tell us about here, Karen.
3: Yes, and yet it's so important. You know, one thing that increases our joy is if we spread joy and give joy to other people, if we sprinkle it in their lives, even just with a passing encouraging word or smile. And so there are so many things in here and stories, you know. I have a historic story in every week and a Bible story every week also to look and see that joy has Then the same through the ages and the sharing idea and all have to. So in Sending Joy, one of the things I did when my mother was dying was cancer, And we had just all been with her for my parents' 50th anniversary on a cruise. I knew the children couldn't be there. So we put together care packages with 30 items in them and a little note on the outside and a scripture on the inside. And my mom and dad we're so happy with that because on a day when they didn't know what else to do when she was in pain, they had a lightness to their day just by opening up one. And some days they'd open more, and I would just send another package. Uh, in fact, we really didn't get to send the second package because she did pass away. But that helps my children feel so good because they had a way to say goodbye and a way to touch their hearts, as well as the recipient feels good. So there's a lot of things you can do just to have two package to sprinkle joy. In. And the jumping for joy, <laughs> uh, you know, part of the reason for that is uh, two little children, there's two stories we have in here. One little girl that was just exuberant with excitement and giggles and hopping up and down, and uh, just her glee turned everybody to look at her. And she had won just a little arcade game where, the, you know, the claws lowered down and was so happy. And uh, the first thing, my, my friend was writing this him, and she said how much we want to have that kind of joy that a child just has so easily and that we should jump for joy at just the little things in life because it makes a difference if we can rejoice all the time. So those are, you know, some of the types, and then serving other people is another way in which, you know, whether you're looking at the Shunammite woman who received a gift of joy of a child when she just said to her husband, this man keeps passing through, he's a holy man of God, let's make a little wall in the upper room for him in 2 Kings chapter 4, and that led to her having a child and having actually his life restored when he uh, died, and so there are times that we can find that in the Bible as well as what we do where you have that type of uh, joy going on all the time. And I also in that section have a little thing about special people with joy. Special needs children and special needs adults show us so much about joy because they are happy at such little things in their lives. And we should be noticing that and taking heart from that. I know that my brother... Um, he lives in a group home up in Connecticut, so I see him every summer. And last summer, the day before I was leaving from the week of being with him, I said to him, "Well, next month Jerry's coming." He got so excited he kept saying, "Jerry's coming, Jerry's coming, Jerry's coming," and it was so delightful to see that. I had to tell my brother about that because it's just wonderful when we see someone that we're with. We know, you know, we may have to part from them, but can we leave them with a joyful thought?
2: I want you to uh, teach us some more, Karen, about one chapter in this section. Encouraging words, the power of our tongue. Uh, what, uh, yes. what encouraging yes. words mean to all of us. Uh, take take it from there.
3: All right. Well, every week starts with a prayer. And so this is a prayer of thanks and encouragement. And part of that prayer says, let us keep our tongues from gossip and negative words that tear people down. Help us to express kindness, share wisdom, and use words to bring smiles to others. And that's just part of that prayer. And there's also a little joy notes from kids because uh, adding a little sprinkle in this book of every week, uh, a little bit of what a child says about the topic is always a joy. So this one says, I can try to find out someone is sad and help them smile. And be kind is what another child said. And we also have in here five devotions for each week, three contemporary people, ones, one from a Bible person and one from a person of history. So here we have one is when my son Michael, as I mentioned before, woke up and he was excited to be in a math competition. He said, is there anything else I should know, Mom? And he knew I was a mathematician, so I said, what you know? I'll test you on things you haven't even studied. Here's two things that might come up. He came home with this big trophy. (laughs) He says, I won, I won. And both things you told me today helped. And we just, uh, you know, that night sat down and and, uh, thanked God for this. His big sister said, that's why it's good, Mom. Pray for us before school every day so we can make good choices. And they looked at not just that he did this, but that he had turned to me for a little bit of encouragement before going. We have a story, a Bible story there about Barnabas, who's a joy giver, and that uh, he encouraged everyone. And when there was a little tiff with Paul and um, someone else, Barnabas said, I'm going to stay with that person because he knew he needed that encouragement. And that type of thing is what we have to know that John Mark had deserted them once, but Barnabas still believed in him. And sometimes after someone has failed us, to still show that acceptance. Is believe in them, encourages them so much they can overcome their past fears and their past failures. And then we have oh, um, a, a historical person where Anne Sullivan igniting a life of joy. Anne Sullivan is, of course, the person who brought light into the life of Helen Keller by breaking through to her darkness of not being able to see, not being able to hear, and changed her life. And part of that happened even before she met Helen, she gave the graduation speech and said, let us go cheerfully, hopefully and earnestly and set ourselves to find our special part. When we have found it, willingly and faithfully perform it for every obstacle we overcome, every success we achieve tends to bring men closer to God. And that encapsulates what we should do when we are called to serve, we not called to be the person who's remembered like Helen Keller. We're called to do our part, and we're called to do it and know that will bring us closer to God, and that brings us greater joy.
2: Karen, you've mentioned the word prayer a number of times in, in our chat. Uh, I want you to uh, tell us about your prayer life and, and some ideas for the rest of us.
3: Well, prayer is super important to me, <laughs> and as I said, uh, prayer as a family, I didn't realize how much it would unite us and keep us united through the years. They're grown. I've got 15 grandchildren, and I pray with different grandchildren. But yeah, I wake up in the morning just thanking God for the day and praying. And before I go to sleep, I'm praying again as I lay down and thanking Him for the day. And even when there's a struggle, I thank Him for the new lessons I'm going to learn from that struggle. And you know, when, it, when it's a harder time, I'll turn to the Psalms or I'll just pour out my heart to God because he's there to listen. And David shows us that in the Psalms, and we know that he's with us every step of the way, and that's where we have to trust. And That's where I, I ask him to just turn me to something that will make me laugh, whether it's looking back at a time where say, Michael had us laughing after the hurricane, before we saw that we had a hole in the roof over his bedroom and his younger sister's bedroom, and we saw the flooded... Uh, Sunken living room that had become sunk, and and these other things we had prayed before we walked out. We had prayed during the night, and it made it so much easier to face all of that. And I know that every day it's easier to face whatever comes because I have been prepared for that day, as I say.
2: Karen Whiting is with us. Karen, what's the best part about living on the space coast?
3: Well, besides the sunshine and living near at least one of my children, uh, you know, we can see rockets go up and realize that this universe is so immense. And when we see those go gupp- uh, up and hear the big boom, we know sometimes a big boom is <laughs> just what we need to shake us up as it shakes the ground a little bit and remind us that God has given us so much creativity that has helped us put men on the moon. And things like that, which is kind of a a nice thing to know about. You know, I was privileged to know a little bit about Jim Irwin. And my husband was a friend of his before he passed away. And, you know, he had a wonderful book that I go back. I think it's called More Than Earthlings and, and other books that he wrote. And so we can learn. So much as we look at things that have come out of the space coast. And I like that. I also like being near the water. Jim was Coast Guard. And so we live near the water from Hawaii to Michigan to New York to Florida. And those are always good years. And so water is something I love. Going over bridge is something I love to do.
2: Karen, um, give me a wrap up on our chat. What do you want people to take from your book and from our discussion?
3: What I'd like them to know is, you know, first, always remember forgiveness, and that's in my peace book more, that when we forgive others, it opens that door to more joy because when we get rid of any anger and let go of any pain that we have, it leaves room for joy to just pour into our hearts and for God to fill us with joy. And so I think that we need to remember that very much that we can't change the past, but we can accept what the future is going to bring and we can be thankful and be forgiven to all that has happened.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, our guest has been Karen Whiting. The book Get a copy, Growing a Joyful Heart, Devotions of Accepting God's Gifts for Abundant Living. I'm uh, I'm very high on devotional books. Uh, there are many of them out there. They're short, uh, Thought for the Day, uh, a, a scripture reference usually, a short prayer. Uh, but it's good to have a few devotional books, you know, close by your Bible. And they'll make a big difference each day as you... Uh, Have your quiet time with the Lord. Uh, We have more here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word. Remember those call letters. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5. The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: Karen Whiting, our guest in that first segment, Space Coast of Florida. We go all the way out to Portland, Oregon. Nijay Gupta is there. He's a professor of New Testament at Northern Seminary. His book is out, Tell Her Story, How Women Led, Taught, and ministered in the early church. a uh, nice to chat with you, and welcome to Orlando. Thank you. It's great to be with you. Uh, what's the background of your book here?
4: Um, the basic idea is, you know, I grew up, um, you know, as a teenager, grew up in Ohio, and I just sort of assumed that the Bible was male-oriented, Jesus is a man, the disciples were men, the kings were men, the prophets were men, And as I came to study the Bible more in depth, especially as a professional biblical scholar now, I read so many stories of women who did amazing things for the kingdom and the church, like Deborah and Phoebe and Junia. I just felt like these stories needed to be told, because even though many of us have read the Bible, we maybe aren't familiar with these names, and they're very important to what
2: God's doing in the world. Your first chapter is called Deborah, Prophet judge, mother over Israel. I want to hear about this.
4: Yeah, so Deborah's in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, which is this period before the kings, before David. And um, this is really the key figure in the Old Testament where we have a woman that's leading Israel. She's pretty amazing. She's married to a man named Lapidoth, but she's kind of on her own. She's a prophet. She's a judge. And by judge, she is adjudicating Um, the great disputes among the Israelites. She's using the Bible Torah to do that. And she also leads the people into victory. So sometimes people will say, I don't know if a woman can do this. I don't know if a woman can do that. And my answer is Deborah led Israel through one of its darkest periods. This period of the judges as Israel was kind of settling into the promised land was a time of great unrighteousness and sin within Israel, Um, The Book of Judges repeats, no one did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And in that book, and you have other figures like Samson and Gideon, Deborah actually stands as this bright luminary. She is this hero that even a victory song is sung in her honor, and that's where I picked up the language of mother in Israel. Um, So sometimes I hear in churches, you know, oh, women can't, you know, do this or that because of these qualities. When I say it, if you can't say it about Deborah, should we say it about anybody?
2: My guest in Portland, Oregon, NJ Gupta. Uh second topic. Going back to the beginning, Genesis one through three, what's happening, NJ?
4: Yeah, it's really important when you study the Bible to understand what happens at the beginning and what happens at the end. A lot of things happen in the middle of the Bible that some are good examples, some are bad examples. But actually, when we start out looking at Genesis, um, we see, especially in chapter 1, this idea that God is going to create the world in peace and order, and the climax of creation is um, the making of the creating of Adam and Eve together together, And they're both given this mission of helping the world to flourish, for there to be harmony and order to tend the garden um, together as the image of God, not, you know, one or the other or separately. And, you know, kind of a joke I use with my students is, you know, if a dinosaur had a question based on Genesis 1 alone, they would ask whichever human they encountered first. There was not this expectation that Adam was going to be the more important figure Adam and Eve together are partners in this work. Genesis 2, we do see a kind of different retelling of the story. Now with Adam in pursuit of a proper partner in this work, none of the animals will do. And so it's Eve. And this idea that Eve is taken out of Adam doesn't mean in any way that she is lesser than or subservient, but that she's one just like him. And they partner together in this work. What we end up seeing in Genesis 3 is sometimes we call it the fall. Um, But I like to call it the unraveling or undoing, because all that harmony and order is being undone or or unwoven by human sin and suspicion of one another. Uh, And ultimately what God wants is that these people partner together rather than stand against each other. When we approach the Bible that way, we see the beauty of the gifts that women and men both bring to Bearing the gospel, living out the gospel, and being part of the kingdom.
2: Now, Nij, I want you to move to a uh, topic three: uh, women in the New Testament world. Uh, what can you tell us here?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I feel like sometimes we feel these pangs of nostalgia that we want to turn the back, turn the world back to some sort of golden age. And I sometimes hear this in churches where people want, you know, the world to revert to traditional roles, that sort of thing. What I found fascinating about going back to the first century, the time of early Christianity, which was in the Roman world, was the idea that women aren't just at home knitting and sewing and cooking. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm the chef in our family. I love cooking. But we find in the Roman world that women are actually doing lots of things. Now, to be clear, it was a patriarchal world. Men Only men could vote. Only men could hold office. Only men could fight in war. But that doesn't mean women were completely restricted. We see women in all kinds of roles in business, in religion. Um, They were lobbying for political candidates. Um, They could be very wealthy and of high status. What we find there is there wasn't this really, really restrictive traditional role for women in society. They could play all kinds of roles in terms of how they influence and impact people's lives. And when we have Christianity emerge in that world, it seems like Christians are um, recognizing and allowing women to do the things that they were already doing in Roman society. And so the idea of a woman traveling long distances to deliver a letter like Phoebe did to the Romans, or to, to be preaching the gospel gospel publicly like Junia isn't that strange when we looked at what actually was going on in the Roman world
2: Now <clears throat> it's time uh Nije, to talk about the women in Jesus life and ministry I want to hear about this
4: Yeah uh you know what's interesting about that is when I was growing up I always just thought that when Jesus traveled around you know I like to say if he if he got a reservation at chee Take factory it was going to be for 13, the 12 men and Jesus. And when you read the Gospels closely, we actually see that Jesus was traveling with a much larger entourage, and it included women. Luke, the Gospel of Luke tells us this in chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. There are these women like Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, and other many others who have been healed by Jesus, had demons cast out of them, and they followed Jesus around. And so, Um, we have to just imagine that Jesus is traveling sometimes with 30, 40, 50, 100 people, and many of them are women. And we know this because they also show up at the cross, and they show up at the tomb, and they even show up at Pentecost. There's an interesting uh, uh, statement made early in the book of Acts that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there in the upper room as Pentecost was happening. Um, So we have to enlarge our imagination to see that Even though the 12 are men, there are these women that made a major impact on Jesus, made a a major impact on early Christianity. They were not only there, but they were really instrumental and important. In fact, Luke tells us that um, they paid for Jesus' ministry out of their own pocket. That's interesting. When he had to pay off a bill at a hotel or an inn, they're the ones that are getting out of their resources to help. If we fast forward to the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter twenty-four, the angels actually talk to these women at the tomb, and they say, um, "Stop weeping! Don't you remember that he was said he would uh, suffer, die, and rise again, just as he told you?" So Jesus was giving direct instruction to these women. They were being held responsible for it, and then they were being sent. To tell the men about the resurrection, um, that in a sense qualifies as being disciples because a disciple is a student of a teacher who's being held responsible for that information and being sent out with that information. So that really has enlarged how we look at Jesus' ministry, which certainly included women.
2: <clears throat> Nije Gupta is our guest. We're talking about his book, Tell Her Story, How Women-Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church, well, <clears throat> you've shared with us and discussed part one, uh, before the women leaders of the early churches. Now we get to part two, the women leaders of the early churches. And uh, the first chapter there is simply the early churches, N. J. And what, uh, what's going on now? What are you teaching?
4: Yeah. You know, the first thing I do in that part of the book is I try to do some ground clearing because we raise all these questions today about who can be a pastor, who can be a lead pastor, worship pastor. And the early church, they didn't really use that language. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have pastors. I'm just saying they use different terminology. And the key terms they used were deacon, which in Greek is diakonos, uh, bishop or overseer, which is episkopos, and elder, which is presbyteros. And those are the terms they used. An episkopos, a bishop or overseer, was kind of a manager uh, giving oversight, um, kind of like a board, uh, board of directors kind of thing. Um, and deacons or diaconoi were um, the people actually carrying out the ministry. So I, I think we would maybe call those pastors today. Um, and then you had these elders, which were kind of a group of people that were responsible for making sure the church was well taken care of. And what we find when we read the New Testament is that women served in all of those roles. Um, If you had a small house church of 20, 30 people, you could have a woman like Nympha, who's mentioned in Colossians chapter 4, who is what we think of as a, a, a single house church leader or pastor. She's serving in that kind of oversight role because she may be the only leader of that community. Uh, we have Phoebe in, in Rome who's mentioned as a diakonos, as a deacon. And when it comes to elders, these would be older, respected people who are mature that help take care of a community. So I think of a woman like Junia, Romans sixteen seven. And when we look at it using the terminology that the New Testament uses, we find these women doing amazing things in those roles.
2: Now I want you to explain to us, but we got to take a break. First, it's the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Back with Nij Gupta right after this.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now here's Pat.
2: Nijay Gupta is our guest. He's in Portland, Oregon. We're talking about his book, "Tell Her Story: How Women Led, Taught, and Ministered in the Early Church." Nijay, tell us about women co-laborers in ministry leadership. I'm interested in this.
4: Yeah, you know, if, if you asked me 30 years ago, 25 years ago, if you know what women leaders in early Christianity, first century, New Testament, I could mention. I could probably come up with Mary, the mother of Jesus, maybe Mary Magdalene, if I really thought about it. And that was about it. And so if I had to guess, I would say there are very few women leaders mentioned in the New Testament. That's just not true. If you open your Bibles to a text like Romans chapter 16, most people don't get all the way to the end of Romans, but it's a very important chapter. You actually read um, a bunch of names of women who are leaders in the church Mary of Rome, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, Junia, Priscilla, Phoebe, and then in Philippians as well, you have women like Euodia and Syntyche. This is hard for us because we don't know these are women's names, but because, uh, you know, we can look at the Greek text, we can understand which are women's names, which are men's names. We actually see there were many women involved in ministry, and what's amazing about these people is the way that Paul commends These women leaders. He doesn't say they're sweet and gentle. They may have been. He doesn't mention that. The main commendation he gives for the ministry is they work hard in the Lord. They work hard in the Lord. The main thing that Jesus is looking for in great leaders is commitment, maturity, and gifting. He's not really looking for a very specific set of virtues. He wants Christians to all be gentle all be brave, all be strong, and he says that of women, he says that of men, and so we need to look at lists like Romans 16 to see just uh, how commonly women were involved in leadership as we see in Rome.
2: Now uh, we get to Phoebe, Paul's trusted proxy. What's the story?
4: Right. Well, Phoebe is from Cancrea, which is kind of a suburb or port city of the larger city of Corinth. And Paul was in Corinth, or Cancria, and he was writing his big 16-chapter letter to the Romans. He'd never actually visited the Roman churches, but he wanted to send this very important letter that has literally changed the world. And he, he can't deliver it himself. He has other business to attend to, but he sends it with a trusted confidant. You see, in the ancient world, you didn't have UPS, you didn't have FedEx, You would send an important letter or package, either you'd hire somebody or you'd send it with a trusted friend. We know that Paul used people like Tychicus or Timothy or possibly Onesimus. And in this case, we know from Romans 16, verses 1 and 2, he uses Phoebe as the letter carrier. Now, letter carrier is more than just a package delivery person. We know that Phoebe is going to stay in Rome. He says that. She's going to kind of set up shop there She's going to be around to make sure things are going smoothly. And so in that sense, she is an extension of Paul. And because she's going to eventually go back home to Cancrea, she's going to bring back whatever feedback they have. In that sense, she has kind of some of Paul's apostolic authority. She, She's Paul's proxy. She's Paul's representative. And when we take that seriously, then they're going to hear this letter being read, Romans and it's going to upset some of them because Paul says some challenging things. And Phoebe's going to play the role of negotiating that discussion of what it looks like to grow in Christ in the ways that Paul wants to see this church grow. A great weight is placed on Phoebe's shoulders. It's it's hard for us to estimate and understand what role and responsibility she had, but it was very important.
2: Next topic, Presa strategic church leader and expert teacher.
4: Yeah, Priscilla and Aquila. Priscilla is kind of the nickname of her name, Prisca, and these were actually people that Paul encountered originally through their work as laborers. Uh, We call Paul tentmaker, however exactly that was understood, and similarly were Prisca and Aquila. And we get the sense that they were kind of business people who had become believers, and they partner with Paul in what we think of as church planting. They spent some time in Ephesus, Corinth, Rome. They're moving from place to place, starting churches. They are a great example of husband and wife uh, partner ministry. They had probably a business place, and they would have probably their own house church meetings in that business place. And what we find fascinating, if we look at the Book of Acts, for example, is that uh, a traveling preacher, a very compelling, powerful traveling preacher named Apollos, comes through and has a great message to preach about Jesus in the synagogues, but Prisca and Aquila recognize there are some deficiencies in his understanding of the gospel, and they actually have the uh, courage and and, um, initiative to take Apollos aside, and it appears that Prisca actually takes the lead in filling in the gaps of uh, Apollos's knowledge. And what we learn there is that she is a gifted teacher. And even though Prisca and Aquila are partners, husband-wife partners, she has real gifting in teaching. And this is an inspiration to women teachers to, today to say, you have an example in Prisca of a Wise, assertive, intelligent, uh, and and mature
2: Christian teacher. Junia, venerated apostle, and apostle imprisoned hero. Tell us more.
4: Junia is probably my favorite. Uh, mentioned in Romans chapter sixteen as well, verse seven, and so Andronicus and Junia are what we think of as another husband and wife pair. A few things are said about them. They're both Jewish, like Paul. They are—they uh, became Christians before Paul, which makes it pretty early in Christianity. And uh, it says that they are noteworthy among the apostles, um, which includes uh, Junia as an apostle. Now, for uh, a period of time, some translations believed that Junia was actually a man, and so you would see this in translations as Junias with an S at the end. Um, The best scholarship today uh, across the board uh, reasons that Junia is a woman. It was a common woman's name, female name at the time. And um, to be an apostle is amazing. To be noteworthy among the apostles gives her a special mark of honor. But my favorite feature of what Paul says about her is that Andronicus and Junia were in prison, in chains, for the sake of the gospel. And for Paul that's one of the highest marks of honor, to have had chains to be in shackles because of your witness and testimony for the gospel. If anyone would be considered Paul's heroes, the people that he looked up to in the faith, I think Andronicus and Junia would
2: qualify. Nij, what about Paul prohibiting women from teaching in the church? Your thoughts.
4: Yeah, this is a controversial issue. I've almost every week of the last six months consulting with denominations and churches about this. There are those texts in places like 1 Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Timothy 2, that appear to make statements that say women shouldn't or women can't. I don't have, you know, two hours to get into this in, in this particular moment, but um, we have to make sure we're trying to read these statements in their specific context. And so I think sometimes in some of these churches, we have kind of gender wars going on where men and women are kind of fighting with one another. And Paul's ultimate purpose is not to put down one group or to suppress one group, but actually to foster harmony. Now, this was a patriarchal world that revolved around male leadership. And I think in many cases, Paul was content to leave the system in place because he thought the end of the world was happening pretty soon. He thought Jesus was going to come back. So instead of trying to completely shift to a whole new paradigm, he was wanting to really see Christ infused into these relationships to bring peace and harmony. So when he's telling women to be quiet, he's not saying never talk. He's talking about peace. He's talking about harmony. And we have to balance out those texts where he says to women, don't do this, with other places where he affirms women who are doing ministry actively, like Priscilla, like Yodia, like Syntyche. So in 1 Timothy 2, Paul says, I don't allow a woman to uh, teach or have authority over a man. You can read my chapter on this uh, to get more information, but I think the way he's talking about this, he's not saying generically, I don't allow this. He's saying, I don't want a woman to try to reteach doctrine to a man I think he's saying that because in this particular context, when he's writing to Timothy, Timothy is trying to put out the fire of a false teaching that's spreading rapidly in Ephesus. And he's saying these women are a part of spreading this false teaching. They need to uh, understand and learn the gospel better, not try to reteach others.
2: NJ, what about the submission texts in the New Testament household code?
4: Yeah, these are places in in, uh, texts like Colossians 3 and 4 and Ephesians 5 and 6 and 1 Peter and elsewhere that talk about wives being submissive to their husbands and so forth. Um, It doesn't exactly fit into what I want to say about women leaders in the sense that it doesn't say anything specifically about women leadership, but I've heard from many many of my students and many people in the church that um, they just can't understand why Paul reinforces this notion of submission. Um, I don't think it means that you have to do everything your husband tells you to do all of the time.
3: There's a place
4: <laughs> for uh you know, working together and loving one another, but to be honest, this was the structure of Roman society. In fact the, the, the shape of these household codes that talk about submission don't come from the Old Testament. They actually come from Aristotle <coughs> from the Greek and his Greco-Roman political philosophy. (coughs) Let's leave these systems in place, but let's make sure that we behave like Jesus. I don't think if Paul could look into the future 2,000 years, that he would say, let's make sure we still have slavery. Let's make sure we still have female submission. I think he would say, I didn't realize history would go on that long. We definitely need to change some of these structures. And just like we decided Slavery is actually not good for humanity, even though it's mentioned in these texts. So also I think Paul would say female submission is not an absolute and should not exist everywhere. Where it does exist, we can try to infuse it with Christ. The bigger vision is for harmony.
2: Nije Gupta has been our guest. Out in Portland, Oregon, quite a book. Tell her story, how women led, taught, and ministered in the early church. Well, folks, thanks for joining us here for the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We'll see you next weekend. Have a great week ahead, and stay tuned all day long to AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. God bless.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time, where faith comes by hearing. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word